we got a little late start today because this is a special Shabbat. It's a, it's a rare occasion in the, in the Hebrew calendar. It was a three Torah service. There was a reading from all the Torahs, plus the Haftorah, Torah, plus the gospel readings. Why is that? It is, first of all, Rosh Chodesh for the month of Nisan. It is also Shabbat HaChodesh. That is the Shabbat that, pre- that starts the month of Nisan. So we have both of those, and we started the book of Vayikra. So we started Leviticus. So we had three Torah readings. Speaking of Shabbat HaChodesh, the Shabbat of the month, I want to read from Exodus 12 here where it says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, In the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. And we know we have four calendars in, in Judaism. This is the festival calendar beginning in Nisan 1. So he goes immediately from there and into the Passover and its instruction. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are to one, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Therefore, because Nisan uh, 1 is two weeks from Passover, because there's a lot of preparation that needs to be going on in your homes, it is traditional, as I mentioned last week, for the rabbi to give a lengthy, lengthy teaching on the preparations for Passover. As a matter of fact, the longest of the year, and why is that? Anyone have a suggestion or thought? From green donuts, from Krispy Kreme? Okay. It's important for people to know how to prepare for the festival of Passover because Exodus 12, 15 tells us this. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. Who wants to be cut off from their people? It was the rabbi's job to give you, actually it it wasn't really a rabbi, there's, uh, you know, teachers, but the teacher, the the most revered teacher would give all the instructions to make sure that you were prepared for doing these things so that you would maintain your fellowship within Israel, that you would have a healthy, safe Passover. No pressure on the rabbi, right? If you don't do a good job, your people get cut off. You no longer have a congregation. Don't prepare them right. They'll be cut off from Israel. Huh? Not a big deal. It is a big deal. So the tradition of a long teaching had a purpose. The tradition. Tradition! Anyone know what that is? Thank you. I should have had that on my phone and let him do it. That would have been better. Tevia. Tevia. Tradition. So... I'm not going to do that, though, because you're going to have to just figure it out on your own. You've done it before, right? I am going to teach you something very important about Passover, though, today, because that's what we're headed toward. And it has to do with months. It has to do with hachodesh and the traditions with a purpose, because the tradition of a rabbi giving a lengthy Pesach message on Shabbat hachodesh, uh, actually, I'm wrong. Do you know that I'm wrong right now? 
It's Shabbat Hagadol when the rabbi gives a lengthy uh, teaching, so don't worry about that. Forget everything I just said up to this point. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to give you a four-hour teaching on preparing your house for the, uh, for the Passover. <clears throat> Traditions with a purpose, that's what I want to talk about. And this teaching is going to be called Matzah, Moons, and Messiah. Okay? Let's talk about Passover. Something specifically, uh, at best, a weird thing about how we celebrate Passover, and at worst, something contrary to the word of God about how we celebrate Passover. So that should perk your ears. Again, looking at Exodus 12, 15, which I just read to you, it is obvious that Passover is a how many day festival? Seven days for Passover, okay? Seven days, the text tells us this. It says, you for seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remember. And then it goes on to say, on the first day, you're to have a Sabbath. You're not to do any work. On the seventh day, you're to have a Sabbath. You're not to do any work, right? How long is Passover? Seven days, it would seem. So, why do we celebrate it for eight days? It's a good question. So what? what is, I mean, it's a good answer, but so what? What does that mean? Why? Where, what gives us the right to add a day to Passover and make what the Torah declares seven days, eight days? What right do we have to duplicate the first and second day, and make them both Sabbaths. What right do we have to take the seventh and eighth day and make them both Sabbaths? Because as everyone is hopefully aware, we celebrate Passover for eight days. That's potentially a problem when the word says it's a seven-day festival. So we're going to make certain that if you do something in this synagogue, and by the way, in this synagogue and at many other observant synagogues, how long you celebrate Passover technically is a decision for you to make. Some people choose to celebrate Passover for seven days, like they do in Israel. Why do they do it for seven days in Israel and we do it for eight days here? We'll get to that. But some people choose to celebrate Passover according to the tradition of Israel. Some people celebrate it as an eight-day festival. But it's not just Passover that we do that to. How many days is Shavuot? One day in the Torah, how many do we celebrate it for? Two. How many, how many days are there? How many Sabbaths are there in Sukkot? There's one. How many do we celebrate? Two, day one, day two. Where do we get the right? Can we change God's word? The Bible says seven for Passover, one day for others. Why do we do it differently? In a certain way, tradition. And most people hate traditions. They think traditions are bad. 
They think that traditions, mainly and probably all traditions created and instituted by the rabbis are bad. They are designed to keep us separated from Yeshua and all kinds of other craziness that I've heard. But let's look at this. I thought it'd be a good day to talk about months, days, and Passover so that if you celebrate Passover for eight days and somebody says, the Bible says it's seven days, why are you doing it for eight? Is everybody in here prepared and equipped to give an answer to why you do that? other than my rabbi said, which should be good enough, but it's not. But we'll talk about your real rabbi, your rabbi of rabbis, and what he did with this in just a second. So stick with me. I want to, I want to look at two aspects, the rational, the logistical, the things that are good to know, and the supernatural, the food for your soul part. Great to experience. So we're going to go. I do want to give a shout out to Aaron Eby, who I stumbled across a little blog that he wrote on this subject that helps me keep my thoughts in line because I am prone to get way, way lost in the weeds and turn a simple concept into a two-hour Shabbat Hagadol message. So thank you, Aaron. It all starts with the moon. It all starts with the moon. The Hebrew calendar is a what kind of calendar? Lunar, of course. What determines when the holidays start? The month. The month determines when the holidays start. What determines when the month starts? The moon. The moon. Today is Nisan 1, the new moon. So does that mean if I go out, I can... See, like tonight, I'll be able to see the new moon, right? The new moon is the invisible moon. You can't really see the new moon at night. You can see the new moon during the day, usually, but it comes at all kinds of crazy times when the new moon arrives. And it's very little sliver. The phases of the moon begin with the appearance of this first little sliver. The cycle of the moon, this could get real boring if you don't just lock in and listen to it, it's more scientific and astronomical than anything else. It's, not a, it's astronomical. 29 and a half days is the cycle of the moon. Therefore, since a month needs to consist of full days, we have to have some considerations of how we determine the month. A month is sometimes 29 days long, and it's called chaser, missing. A month is sometimes 30 days long and called male, full. So a 29-day month is missing a little bit. A 30-day month is full. It has everything. But 29 and a half days is the lunar cycle. You with me so far? You're not bored yet, right? You shouldn't be. No big deal. Actually, it could be a very big deal. If, if some months were 29 and some months were 30 and we don't want a month changing midday, how in biblical times and be, well, biblical times and even after for some hundreds of years, how did we determine which months were 29 or 30 days? Everybody just got to make up their own mind and start celebrating, right? No, it was imperative that there was a designated time when the month started. Why? 
If I don't know when the month starts, I don't know when the festivals fall. I could be days off. Uh, by the end of a year, who knows how many days off. There had to be some order to the system. So do you know who figured it out? Those mean old dirty rabbis. Actually, the Sanhedrin, the High Court of Israel, figured it out. Here's the process. You ready? When the first sign of the new month, that is a sliver of the new moon, which if you were out at 921 in the morning today in Macon, Georgia, you saw the new moon. Okay? 921 a.m., according to my lunar records. <clears throat> when the first sign of the new month, that is the sliver of the new moon, was spotted, two witnesses hurried to the court to testify that the month could begin. They were cross-examined. Their testimony was confirmed. When two or more valid witness testimonies were confirmed, the court made the determination that the new month began at sunset. Okay? Horse and rider went out from Jerusalem to alert all the communities of Israel, and there you go. Bob's your uncle. I've always wanted to say that. It's English. I have no idea what it means, but it's an appropriate usage of it. <laughs> Side note. Very interesting historical fact. This is not the way that it was always done. There was a time before this that this, once the Sanhedrin had determined the month began, the information was broadcast from Jerusalem way out there to Jewish outposts, even as far as Babylon. They would do it with huge bonfires lit on designated mountaintops, right? Lookouts stationed on other mountaintops would see the fire is lit, the fire is lit, the fire is lit, and everybody knew very quickly the month has begun. That seems like a great plan, better than horse and rider. Why did it stop? You remember the good Samaritan? There were also a whole heck of a lot of bad Samaritans, and what they would do is light fires at the wrong times to confuse the people about when the month actually began. So they had to stop that plan. They were constantly at odds with the Jews, lighting, fire, lighting fires on the wrong days in order to manipulate the calendar. So we had to have a system to determine when the months began, right? Easy, the holidays. What determines when the holidays start? The month. What determines the month? The moon. Who determines when the moon starts the month? Now you know this. The Sanhedrin. I'll answer it for you. Great. So the holidays are based on when the moon is observed and the writers getting to the communities to let them know. Most holidays in the Jewish calendar begin a little bit into the month, right? Shavuot on the 6th of Sivan, Pesach, 14th of Nisan, Yom Kippur, 10th Sukkot, 15th of Tishrei. Rosh Hashanah is another story, begins on the 1st. Hang tight, we'll get there. Passover, um, so, so the idea there is if you got a little bit of time, it works for the riders to be able to go out. They can get to everybody pretty quickly, right? Everybody in Israel, they can get to pretty quickly. Okay, so let me translate that. The riders had time to make it to the communities in Israel even those that were a bit further away. Because if the Sanhedrin designates the, shot, the month at 10 o'clock a.m., then they have time even to get, you know, pretty good distance away to let Israel know. 
Therefore, Israel was pretty unified. But here comes a dilemma. What about Babylon? What about the distant communities with no bonfires, mean old bad Samaritans? How do you do it? If I say 10 o'clock, that's it. The witnesses are confirmed. Go out, riders. Are they going to get to Babylon? No, they're not going to get to Babylon. They're not going to get there potentially for weeks to be able to be to be able to alert alert the communities. We couldn't jump in our pickup trucks and our helicopters and say, hey, here it is, the month, the month, the month. We couldn't send an Instagram post. Hey, chilling on Rosh Hodesh. <laughs> Nissan selfie. Happy Nissan, peeps. So, so as an example, we know Adar started on this day, the previous month, okay? We're in Nissan now. We know when Adar started. We know roughly when Nissan would start, 29 or 30 days later, right? But I don't know which. I don't know which one. And this month is imperative that I know when to celebrate Passover. How do we fix this? Here's the thing. Leviticus 23, 4. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. What if I don't know the day? That's going to be difficult. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day. What if I don't know the day? That's going to be difficult. The Feast of Unleavened Bread begins on the 15th. That's going to be difficult. On the first day, that's going to be difficult. On the seventh, you get the point. Somebody's got to figure out how this is going to work. So that's a lot of days in there. I don't know when I'm not supposed to do work. The solution, we will double it. We will celebrate it on both days. You with me? Logic. It's logic. It's not anything wicked. It's not satanic. It's not trying to make your life bad, although I think an extra day of matzah is making my life bad. <laughs> two days, one and two doubled. Passover, first day, Seder. In Israel, you only have a first day Seder. You only have a one day holiday. In America, and everywhere else, why do we have two nights of satyrs? Now you know. We're doubling the day. And now you know why. Seventh night and eighth night. Why do we do that? Now you know why. Now you know. But there's a problem. Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah falls on the first. Even if, if the new moon is sighted at 3.30 p.m. and the month begins, and it's the first of Tishrei, how, I can't even get horse and riders potentially to the Galilee. I have a problem. I have a problem, especially for Tishrei. The head of the year, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. I don't want to get these days wrong. So what happens? Even in Israel, Rosh Hashanah is doubled to make certain that no one misses it. So the only holiday doubled in Israel is Rosh Hashanah. It falls on the first of the month. You can understand this logic, right? Everybody makes certain that they have not missed the celebration 
of Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur. Not doubled. Thank you, God, that it is not doubled. Who wants to sign on for two 25-hour fasts? I, me. No, put your hand down. Dummy. There's a rule, there's a ruling that says it is forbidden to enact a public decree that the majority cannot abide by. Some very pious do double Yom Kippur. Good for them. But you don't have to. And it's not the halacha, it's not the, it's not the minhag, it's not the tradition. So for all the anti-rabbinics out there in the world who might listen to this sermon outside of these walls, the calendar and the doubling was, as usual, an act by the Sanhedrin to protect the people of Israel from transgressing Torah. We do not want you to miss the blessing of the Moedim. We will figure out a way, and they did. But what right? Deuteronomy 17 gives them the right, which says, and I'll read it, if cases come before your courts that are too difficult for you to judge, whether bloodshed, lawsuits, assaults, take them to the place the Lord your God will choose. Go to the Levitical priests and to the judge who's in office at that time. Inquire of them. They will give you the verdict. You must act according to the decisions they give you at the place the Lord will choose. Where is that? Jerusalem. Who was that? The Sanhedrin. Be careful to do everything they instruct you to do. Act according to whatever they teach you and the decisions they give you. Do not turn aside from what they tell you, to the right or to the left. Anyone who shows Contempt for the judge or for the priest who stands ministering there to the Lord your God is to be put to death. You must purge all evil in Israel. That's where they get the right because God said and knew because God is very smart that things are going to come along that need some type of additional instruction. And that's where it comes from. Good for them. Now, I am holding in my hand a piece of technology, which is included in its platform, a calendar. This calendar even has downloaded from hebcal.com.org. It alerts me when days are coming. It tells me when the things are happening. And anywhere in the world, I could figure out what day it is and what's happening. Why, oh why, oh why? Would we still subscribe to tradition? In the fourth century, Hillel II was able to figure out uh, the problem. He knew that, that the Sanhedrin was not going to make it. He, being the genius that he obviously was, calculated a calendar that fixed all the dates. So as early as the fourth century, we knew when the holidays would be. Why are we still doing tradition? Two reasons. You ready? The Talmud says in Beitzah 4b, the sages sent word to the exiles. Be careful to keep the customs of your forefathers and keep two days of the festival. For someday the government may promulgate a decree and you will come to air. In other words, Better safe than sorry. This is potentially what we would call a fence law. I know another rabbi who spoke a lot of fence laws. His name was Yeshua. Better to be safe than sorry, they said. 
Second, there's a general rule that once a rabbinical decree, an enactment has been made by the Sanhedrin, it takes the ruling of an even greater Sanhedrin to overturn it. If all of the Jewish people have accepted this law of the Sanhedrin and said this is good, it takes a greater Sanhedrin. We don't have that. We don't have that. You can't undo the Sanhedrin until a greater one comes along. I think I know who will preside over that greater Sanhedrin, though. And he will overturn, and he will fulfill, and he will, you know, he'll, he will, he being the one who is coming, will make the proper rulings as he always did on Torah. But speaking of him, the one who is coming, do you think that he doubled the Passover? No, he didn't, because he lived in Israel. Do you think that he doubled Shavuot? No. Do you think he doubled Rosh Hashanah? Yes. Why? Because it was the tradition of the ancestors. It was what you do. And he never did anything but what you do. So when you do it, you can be in good company. But for Judaism, it's a continuation of tradition until we're all in the land. So again, why do we do it? Thank you, Roger. Give me one more louder with that booming voice. Tradition. There it is. Thank you. That's it. A tradition that has value in it if we're willing to see it. But here is the value, and this is the last thing, and one more reason which I think is the most important. That's all fine and good, everything we've said up to this point, but some would say, seriously, we're a messianic synagogue. You're talking about the Sanhedrin. You're talking about the Talmud. You're talking about the traditions, and la, 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 la. Do we really need to observe a tradition like that? Even more so. And here's why. Everything I shared really is technical, earthly, logistical. What about the spiritual? Certainly, God wouldn't allow this if there wasn't something in it that we could benefit our souls from, food for our spirit. I was talking to my dad about the message. I told him what I was talking about. He said, I'm going to be out of town. I'd like to hear that. You know why? Because I really don't like doubling those festivals. It's my dad. I don't like, like, eating matzah an extra day. It's more the IPAs that I struggle with than the matzah. No IPAs for eight days. No, just kidding. I'm not kidding. <clears throat> it's, it's easy not to actually love doubling the holidays. Do you know why? Because if you double the holidays, it's twice the days off from work. It's more matzah. It's different stuff. It's different stuff that's inconvenient. But let me welcome you to the world we live in. Do you know this world? This is the world of exile. It is inconvenient to be in exile. It is more than inconvenient. This is the exilic schedule. We're not in the land. The Sanhedrin is not there to establish Rosh Chodesh, the months, the holidays, but most importantly, what's missing from Israel? Mashiach. And we're not there. 
And so we're out here. We're stranded out here in Galut. We're in exile. And so what we're looking for, and I was talking to Darren about this this week, what we're looking for is Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. Because what will he do? He will take off one extra day of matzah for me. He's so nice. I don't know. It's possible we might still double those, but who knows? in the diaspora, even when Yeshua's here, but uh, we won't go into that. So when people eat another day of matzah, when people double a holiday, here's the consideration. We're not home yet. We are yearning in the second day Seder and in the eighth day Seder, and especially the eighth day Seder, which I'll talk to you about very briefly right now, especially the eighth day, we are yearning for an end of exile. This tradition with a purpose is to focus you more and more and connect you. I would argue that it is more deeply a connection to Messiah than anything. You know that song. And even though he may delay, I will wait for him every day, even and especially on the eighth day of Passover. So, speaking of Messiah and tradition, we had this slide up here for Meal of Messiah. Next week, we're going to look at that. A tradition, a more modern tradition, as a matter of fact and a newer tradition for Nachamu Ami that has to do with one of the most beautiful aspects of Passover. It is the last night Seder called the Meal of Messiah. The first night we look back, the eighth night we look forward to the coming redemption that Yeshua is bringing. We look forward to that. So what did all this have to do with that? By way of introduction, that looks us forward to talking about next week, the meal of Messiah, and the day we will celebrate it on the eighth day of Passover. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Shabbat Shalom. Let's rise for the Elenu.